After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, for you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people but no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? You were demon-possessed, the crowds answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am, I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, 
when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said, said to one another, one, one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in, in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I wonder what you made of um, Jesus' statement there at the end. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me. Um, even if I don't really understand fully get what Jesus means by it, I wouldn't be surprised if most of us are drawn to this image. It's an attractive image of thirst being quenched. So if you've ever had the experience of a cold drink on a, a hot day, pretty hard at the moment, but you know, in the summertime, and it's refreshing, and it's satisfying. And this image of rivers of living water, can you imagine being re-energized, revitalized at the very core of your being and it flowing out to all of life? Very, even if we don't fully get what Jesus, very attractive offer image here. And yet, this offer from Jesus comes into the context of a lot of hatred and rejection, a plot to kill him. Did you notice that? If you just glance down at verse 1 of chapter 7. After this, Jesus went round in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Verse 7, Jesus says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Over the page, verse 32, talking about Jesus, the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. And then verse 43, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Now, do you see the hatred towards Jesus, the rejection of him, this plot to arrest him and kill him, despite this wonderful offer that he holds out to people? Now, what is going on? Um, I remember when I became a Christian in my final year at university, having, well, finally realized what Christianity and Jesus was truly about, and I thought that my friends and my family would be quick to believe in him too once I told them what he was about. Here is Jesus, it's about love, it's about forgiveness, it's about grace, it's mercy, it's transformation, these rivers of living water from inside out. I thought they would believe. They didn't believe. I'm not interested. I don't care. 
fine for you, not for me. If you mention Jesus to me one more time, and IK came as a shock to me, this rejection of Jesus, this unbelief in Jesus, why? I'm not sure if you've ever thought it yourself. Why is it that some of your friends believe in Jesus, some of them don't? Why is it some of your colleagues are interested in looking into the claims of Jesus, but others aren't? As we come here to John chapter 7, we are shown two reasons for unbelief in Jesus. It's not everything the Bible says on this topic of unbelief, but here are two big ones. In verses 1 to 13, with Jesus' brothers and their desire for popularity, in verses 14 to 24, we look at the Jewish crowds and see their desire for a religiosity and being good enough for God. And these two things, a desire for popularity, religiosity, prevent them from belief in Jesus Christ. I want us to have a look at it so we can understand unbelief today. And then we'll look at this offer of Jesus and what it really means for us today. So let's start with the brothers. This is verses 1 to um, 13. And we're told in verse 2 that the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near. So this is a large-scale event, an annual event, lots and lots of people there. And Jesus' brothers have seen his miracles. They, can, they see what Jesus can do. And so they say to him in verse 3, Leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. So you can see what's on the mind of Jesus' brothers here. They're thinking publicity, become a public figure. They're thinking popularity, show yourself to the world. Must have been quite weird um, being a brother of Jesus. <laughs> Growing up with him, normal brother, um, rough and tumble, you know, at home and apprentice in the carpenter's workshop, and then one day your brother starts healing people miraculously and feeding the 5,000 and walking on water, and they're thinking, woohoo, look what our brother can do. Let's market him. Let's show yourself to the world, Jesus. Think of the money, think of the popularity, the Facebook like, the Instagram post. We'll have a little first century keeping up with the Kardashians. We'll be keeping up with the carpenters. All this, like, going for this popularity. But notice where all this desire stems from in verse 5. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. People sometimes say to me, you know, if I was living back time at the time of Jesus, if I saw his miracles, then I would believe. Or it would be much easier for me to believe. It's not the case with his brothers. They grew up with him. They saw his miracles. They believed in his miracles. They wanted to market the miracles. They still did not believe in the person doing the miracles. They still had not seen who Jesus is, what Jesus had come to do. And this is just something for us to be aware of. If you are someone who wants a popular Jesus, the brothers wanted a popular Jesus. They wanted a marketable Jesus. But it is not the real Jesus. It is not the Jesus of the Bible. And Jesus tells his brothers in verse 6 what he really is about. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Now, that is why you can never have a popular Jesus for the world. When he testifies that its works are evil. 
Who here, by nature, likes to have their sin exposed? Who here likes to be told that the way you're living your life is wrong? That the way you're living your life is evil? No one likes that. Not naturally. I've been a minister for 14 years. I have to admit that as I read those words there, the strength of language that Jesus uses, you know, I bristle somewhat. Um, but you know, Jesus has such a high standard of good. Jesus' standard of good is, is so good, so perfect, the way he wants us to treat each other so high, you know, that even the faintest hint of jealousy, even the whitest of white lies, even the smallest of sins, is evil in God's eyes. Now, please don't mishear me. Jesus has not come primarily to judge and condemn sin. He's come to forgive sin, save us from sin. But in order to be rescued from evil, we need to be told, we need to realize the evil that's already there. And that will never be a popular message to the world. And so Jesus will never be popular for the world. If you're someone here and looking into uh, Christian things, um, delighted to have you here. That's what these Wednesday lunchtimes are about, to explore the claims of Jesus. And as we've been going through John's Gospel, perhaps you've seen Jesus turn water into wine. Perhaps you've seen him heal in miraculous ways, fee 5,000, walk on water, and you think, wow, this is great. What power he has. I want that power in my life. Popular-looking message, this is for me. I hope you can see that Jesus Christ has come to do a much deeper, more important work than that. And that is to deal with the number one fundamental problem of humanity. The problem in every human heart, the problem of sin and the evil within. Don't believe in him as a miracle worker. Believe in him as a saviour. That's why he's come. Could be some of you here are holding back in following Jesus Christ because you are worried about what your friends or colleagues, family may think of you. And you want to be a Christian and you want to be respected by them too. Of course you do. We all do. But I hope you can see that Jesus never guarantees, never promises popularity from the world. When I became a Christian, my friends, I think, showed themselves to be truly be my friend. They respected my decision, even though they didn't believe in Jesus for themselves. But it's not always that way. And you shouldn't be surprised if there is some people not respecting your decision. Jesus says you can't have it both ways. Him and popularity in this life. But he does say you certainly need him. And for those of us here who are Christians who've been following Jesus for a while and perhaps you, you know, you're finding you're not getting much traction with your friends or colleagues with Jesus at the moment and perhaps you're tempted to just turn down some of the strong language about sin and evil, repentance. You know, to make it more palatable to make it easier to digest. Well, look, you might make, be successful in making it more palatable, but you're also going to be successful in not giving them Jesus because Jesus has come to testify that the world's works are evil. Save them from him, definitely. But we need to speak that truth as well. So that's the first reason to see here why people don't believe in Jesus, a desire to be popular. A second reason why people don't believe is a desire for religiosity and thinking you can be good enough for God. Now, this is verses 14 to 24, but we see it most clearly where Jesus says to the crowds in verse 19, 
Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? Remember, these are not any crowds that Jesus is addressing here. These are the Jewish crowds. These are people who pride themselves on being God's chosen people, who have God's law, the law given through Moses, and at that time thought that they were right with God through their own obedience to the law. But Jesus, here, it is pulling the rug right away from that way of thinking. You say you have the law? Well, do you remember the Ten Commandments? They're pretty important. Do you remember number six? Do not murder. Why are you trying to kill me? None of you keeps the law. That is the problem. Trying to think that you can ever be good enough for God, as Jesus can always come into your life and point out one area where you're failing at it and falling short because you're not perfect. More serious than that, if you go around thinking you're good enough for God, then why will you ever need Jesus and why will you ever believe in him? This is the mistake I made, got horribly wrong for the first 22 years of my life. When it came to Christianity, I had thought, Jesus is good, I need to be good, I'm pretty good, what do I need Jesus for? I'm fine, thank you very much. And it wasn't until someone kindly, graciously, gently exposed some of the inconsistencies in my life that actually for the first time I began to see the reality of sin in my life, what that meant to fall short of God's perfect standard, that actually I needed forgiveness from God, I needed help, and suddenly Jesus came more alive to me. As long as you think you're going to be good enough for God, belief in Jesus is impossible. In quite a famous survey done a few years ago, people were asked, why should God let you into heaven? 90% of people said, because I'm a good person. 90%. There is something deep inside human nature that thinks we need to be good enough. We need to be good enough for our parents, through our good behavior. We need to be good enough for our teachers, through our good results. We need to be good enough for our bosses, through attaining our targets. We need to be good enough for our friends, through our loyalty. And so when it comes to God, of course, we think the same thing. And so there is the law of Moses in Judaism today. And there is the seven steps to enlightenment in Buddhism. And there is the five pillars of Islam. And there's their own, your own law-based system of defining whether you're right or wrong. Because we think we need to be good enough. But as long as you're doing that and you're working hard and you're trying to keep the rules and climb up the ladder, then what do you need Jesus for? Because you are doing it all yourself. But the problem is, as Jesus says here, none of us keeps the law. The law of Moses, the five pillars, the seven steps, whatever the law-based system you're living by, none of us keeps it. Which is why a lot of people are carrying around a lot of guilt. People are worrying about their past catching up with them. People are worried about whether their future is secure as they think. There's no assurance. There's a lot of anxiety. It's a horrible way to live. This desire for religiosity that keeps you from belief in Jesus Christ. Now, what is the solution? Well, come with me to verses 37 to 39. And this wonderfully attractive offer from Jesus Christ. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So this is the last, this is the greatest day of the festival, this festival of tabernacles. This is when God's people are remembering God's great deliverance of them from Egypt. And Jesus stands up and before them all in this loud voice says he is here to bring in the greatest, the ultimate deliverance of all. Not from Egypt, but from sin. The number one fundamental problem of humanity. As we're going through John's Gospel, we've seen this. Jesus has not come just to expose our sin. He has come to forgive our sin, to die for our sin, to pay for our sin to be our Passover land, John chapter 1, so that he dies in our place for all the sin in our life so God's judgment passes over us and we can be assured right now today of a relationship with God that goes on through death and into eternity. Are you thirsty for forgiveness? Are you thirsty for life with God now? Then Jesus says, come to me and drink. For your past dealt with, for your future to be secure. One of the things about human popularity, human approval, it's incredibly fickle. Have you been reading just in the news this week about Arsene Wenger or Bradley Wiggins? I mean, you know, 2003, 2004, Arsene Wenger was being described as the greatest manager in the Premiership. He turned the Arsenal team into the Invincibles. Now this week, the fans are crying for him to go. Why is he staying on? Bradley Wiggins, national hero, first British cyclist to win the Tour de France. We were all wearing those little like, sideburn things in the marsh, like, woo, Bradley. And now this week, allegedly, TUEs crossed the ethical line. Tom Fordis writing in BBC Sport, I'm going to take down my poster from my wall. Human popularity, human approval is here today, it's gone tomorrow. Divine approval is permanent. Believe in Jesus Christ. And you can be assured of God's love, God's forgiveness, God's approval forever. It is not about you and your performance. It is about what Jesus Christ has done for you on a cross 2,000 years ago outside Jerusalem. So right now, if you can think of anything that would separate you from God, anything that would cause God to disapprove of you, it's already been paid for if you trust in Jesus Christ. So please do not go after human approval, human praise, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Believe in Jesus Christ. Have divine approval forever. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It is to trust in him. It is to put your faith in him. It is more than the mere acceptance of facts about him. When I hurt my wife, when I say sorry to my wife, when she very graciously forgives me, and I take her at her word that I am forgiven. I don't need to feel guilty anymore because she said I'm forgiven. I don't need to win back her favour because I'm already in her favour by virtue of her forgiveness. I don't need to deal with my sin, self-atone, because she has borne the worry about the consequences. She has dealt with it herself. Now we get that on the human level. How much more on the divine level? But to believe in Jesus Christ is to say to God, I'm sorry for my sin. And I'm sorry for the ways 
that I've thought I'm good enough for you. And when he says, I forgive you, you take him at his word. And you don't have to feel guilty. You have to carry it around anymore because you are forgiven. He's dealt with it. You don't have to try and win back God's favour. You're already in his favour because of what Jesus has done forever. You don't have to deal with your sin yourself. You don't have to self-atone. You don't have to worry about the consequences anymore because Jesus has dealt with the consequences once for all it is finished. And to believe in Jesus, to have that thirst finally quenched of love, of approval, of forgiveness, it is to have the Holy Spirit, that's what the rivers of living water are, inside you, the presence of Jesus, assuring you of that forgiveness, assuring you of that love, setting you free from human approval because you've got divine approval and setting you free from thinking you can ever be good enough for God because Christ alone is the one who brings you to God. That is what John chapter 7 is about. So don't be surprised when you see unbelief today because there's plenty of desire for popularity and plenty of desire for religiosity today. And as long as that's alive, belief in Jesus will not come. And yet Jesus still holds out this offer. An offer you or I need to accept if we've not done so yet. And an offer you and I need to continue to hold out to our friends, our family, our colleagues, no matter the rejection or hatred that will come. But let me stop there, as ever. Very happy to chat some more afterwards. Let me pray for us all now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the riches of John's gospel and how you want to prepare us for all of life here, the nature of unbelief, two big reasons, the desire for human popularity, human religiosity. Father, please protect us, protect us from those things, the fickleness of human popularity, the inability of us ever to be good enough for you, and yet, wow, the offer that Jesus shows us here of forgiveness, of our sin paid for, of divine approval for eternity. Please set us free from these things, to trust in you, to believe in you, and to experience for ourselves a spiritual thirst being quenched in these rivers of living water flowing from within. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.